Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. Hey, well, good morning. I have been waiting forever to figure out a time to show that video. It's absolutely my favorite. Uh, If you have never seen that video, you probably know absolutely no one under the age of 10. Or you've been uh, frozen in carbonite since October of 2013. And so, and if you don't even know what that illustration is like, then you're just at a real deficit. Because anyways, carbonite. I try to hit everybody there. So, hey, if you are our guest this morning, I do want to uh, welcome you to Plymouth Creek Elementary. Uh, my name is Phil, and uh, I like to wear shirts that look like I just came out of the water. Um, <clears throat> that's for Noah. Um, hey, uh, we are Clarity Church, and we're so glad if you are visiting with us. And we, we really are honored that you chose to take time out of your weekend to spend here with us. In fact, uh, part of the reason why many of us who call ourselves Clarity work really hard to create these atmospheres. Uh, the only thing we couldn't control was the fact that it's cold in here. We put a call in, so hopefully the heat will be turned on. But the reason why we work really hard to set up these chairs, put up the lights, have the band rehearse, all this kind of stuff, is simply with this, this goal in mind. We really believe that, um, that at the end of the day, one of the most impactful things that people can find clarity on is who Jesus Christ is. And so what we hope to do this morning is just paint a clearer picture of who Christ is so that you can choose for yourself um, to believe what you want to believe about who Christ is and what he's done for you. And this is a great series to be a part of if you're just jumping in because we are actually looking at the words of Jesus and arguably one of the most popular sermons ever. And it's, it's, it's couched in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't familiar with it, it's Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be looking over the next several weeks specifically at this thing called the be attitudes. And so uh, I don't know about you, but every time I hear the song in summer, uh, when it gets to that part where he goes, um, <clears throat> where he says, you know, winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a, right? I don't know about, do you say puddle in your head? I say puddle in my head every single time. And I always think he's going to say puddle. And I find myself tracking with the infectious and catchy lyrics. And then all of a sudden it kind of goes in a direction that I didn't expect and a happy snowman in summer, right? Uh, it's a little trivial. And for some of us, we were hoping to build snowmen this week, but that never happened either. And so, um, you know, it seems like weathermen are pretty much as honest as nobody. Um, but, but anyways, you see at the end of the movie, right? How many of you seen the end of the movie? See at the end of the movie, right? And what happens, right? Olaf is around in summer, and there's this this magic, he has his own flurry, right? His personal flurry, as he calls it. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, okay, I mean, I get it. I get it, the magic of Disney. The magic of Disney, I see how that's working. And, um, you know, if you're someone who didn't grow up in church, or maybe you 
did grow up in church and maybe you had a falling out with the church or with, with someone in the church or maybe the idea of who God was and, and you stepped away from the church, you understand how sometimes what Christians believe or what they believe Jesus has to say and, and what the scripture really sounds like, it, it, you, you're familiar with the idea that it sounds a lot like Olaf's dreams of being a snowman in summer. You understand uh, what Christians believe in, and, and when you think about it, when you, when you listen to what they say, it seems less like reality, and it seems more like fiction, right? Because you hear things, when you hang around Christians enough, you hear things like this, right? You hear things like, love your enemies, right? I mean, that, that makes sense. No, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Or, hey, bless those that curse you, or do good to those that, what, like you? do good to those that, what, hate you. And then, and then you hear things like, like this. Jesus goes, hey, if you want to save your life, you're going to have to, what, lose it. And so I get it. I mean, if, if I wasn't a person who was following, wasn't following Christ, and I listened to the things that Christians say, and I listened to the things that Jesus taught, it could, it could sound a lot like Olaf going, snowman in summer, right? And, and I get it. I get it. But in the same way the passage of Scripture that we've been looking at, um, and really that we're going to be looking at the next several weeks, it, it has a temptation for all of us, for all of us to listen to it and go, well, that sounds nice, and that sounds, that sounds great, but you don't understand, Phil. I mean, uh, that, that may seem ideal, but what's really going on in life, there, there's a tension between the ideal and the real, and and. You go ahead, Christians, and you, you believe that stuff. But, you know, it really doesn't work in the real world because it flows against common thinking, common cultural, everyday thinking. And while I can't promise that the conversation today will help relieve the tension between the incongruency that is made between the reality of what Jesus says and the reality of your everyday life, what I can promise is this. That as we continue to move through the Beatitudes of Jesus, you will find that there is an invitation to hope for all. That there is an invitation to grace for all. That there is an invitation to mercy for all. And an invitation for us all to experience what Jesus would call the blessed life. So, as we started last week, and this is a little different than how we usually do things, I'm going to begin our time today uh, just reading this passage of Scripture that we're going to kind of be looking at, and then I'll hopefully try to explain it. Uh, in fact, I was so worried that what I have for you today is will, will be really—I I was afraid it would be uber theological and we'd get really down into it, and some of you are going to be really excited and be like, yes, finally a church that goes deep. Um, but— uh, I, was, I asked my wife, and I said, is this okay? She goes, no, no, it actually it makes sense. You, they have to understand this in order for, for them to get it. And so uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to read that scripture. I'm going to try to explain where Jesus is coming from. And then when we read it again, I hope, just like we did last week, that you'll be able to read the Beatitudes of Jesus in a new light. In a light, uh, for some of you, it'll be new. For some of you, it'll be a, rem- a reminder. Maybe, maybe you, you've read this and you understand what the Beatitudes are about. And so for some of you, this will be a reminder. And you just need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done and how he wants us to live, right? This is really important for us. And then as we close, uh, what I'll do is I'll try to give us some practical ways that we can kind of live this out 
in our everyday lives. Does that sound like a plan? Is that okay? Can we do that? Okay, good. Boy, you are a quiet bunch. Here we go. Look at this, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and, went, and, went, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me pray. Lord, I would ask that in these next few moments, you would give me the words to speak that would clearly explain not only your intent, um, but it would clearly explain your heart and desire and dreams for the people who you would call part of your family. And I pray that as we talk about the kingdom realities that are able to be realized here on earth, that even those who might feel disconnected from you for many reasons would get a sense that you are a God for them, not a God against them. We pray that we would find ourselves the people who are called by you, blessed. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, if you are someone who is loved and loves, if you're someone who loves and is loved in return, uh, here's a truth that we know about everyday life. And it's this, that you will eventually experience a loss, which eventually leads to mourning, right? How many of you have ever experienced a loss? A loss, right? And if you haven't, you will one day because we live in a world that is broken. And if you love and are loved by someone, you will eventually mourn. This is why Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 and 4 says this, For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And for those of us who are familiar maybe with mourning, it is true that God promises his comfort for all who would receive it, right? Psalms tells us this in 34 verse 18. It says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, in, in an attempt to, to help the Christians there who are being persecuted, but also give them instruction on what they should do when they find comfort in their persecution, says this. He says, He, God, comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will, we will be able to give them the same comfort God gave us. And the scripture is clear that God is near the brokenhearted and cares for those whose life is overwhelmed by grief. Now, I, I do have to pause, and so I, I am setting you up, because when, when Jesus uses the word mourn here, or grieve, in Matthew 5, he is addressing a crowd of Jewish people that would have understood what Jesus was saying in a very distinct way, that sets it apart from the kind of grief we often associate with death. Now, some of you, are, I've already lost you, because for you, in a time of mourning, 
this verse was probably very instrumental in giving you comfort. And I just want to let you know, just to be clear, some of you who've experienced grief and mourning in the context of death, who were either taught or looked at this verse as a source of God's promise or comfort, you need to know that this verse, um, that, that as I explain this verse, that what I'm saying does not cancel that reality, okay? That God is a God who gives comfort for those who mourn. In fact, what we're going to be talking about in this reality uh, is, is something much, much deeper than that. So in order to help us understand what Jesus is talking about, we first have to take a look at this, this, this beatitude in two different fronts. We have to ask these two questions. One, what are the people Jesus is referring to? What are they mourning about? What is it the blessed are mourning about? And the second question we'll get in later is, what does Jesus mean when he says that those who mourn will be comforted? That's another good question, too. So just to kind of scholastically look at this to get us on the same page, let's look at what is it the blessed are mourning. Last week, if you remember, and if you missed us last week, you can always go online at claritychurch.org for us, messages, catch up with us, and they're always going to be there as long as there's an internet and we can pay the website bills. So uh, it'll always be up there. Uh, and you can follow along. And last week we looked at Jesus beginning his teaching about the kind of people God blesses by defining the poor in spirit. And so in order to gain a clear understanding of what Jesus was trying to communicate, what did we do? We looked at Jesus' other teachings, right? And some of you remember what we talked about. We learned, we talked about how Jesus uh, talked about the lost coin, the lost son. And then we looked at some of his other teachings. And we learned that the poor in spirit are those who recognize their need for God. And for specifically for God's grace and his mercy. And have desperately, out of recognizing that they were spiritually bankrupt, that they were totally in need, they submitted their lives to Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so uh, another way to, to put what we talked about last week was this. Poor in spirit is a desperation for God because of a separation from God, right? So the poor in spirit are those who are desperate for God because they've been separated from God. Uh, another way to put it is this. Poor in spirit is a commitment to humility, which is a right view of who I am and what I've done in light of who God is and what he has done, right? And so this week, that was last week. And so in the same way, this week, in order to gain a clearer picture of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn, I want to look back at a passage of scripture that Jesus himself read and spoke about uh, and, and it was really Jesus coming back to his hometown of Nazareth. And if you follow the, the, uh, Luke's account of, of the gospel, you'll, you'll find that Jesus get baptized. And, and then if you peek over to another gospel, you'll know that in between what we're going to talk about here and, and his baptism, you know, there's a little wedding in Canaan where he turned water into non-alcoholic wine. I mean, you know, just, just in case I don't want to offend anybody. But, you know, he turned water into wine and he did that little miracle. And so word was spreading about Jesus already, right? And so Jesus comes back into his hometown, and he does, as Luke chapter 4 tells us, is his custom. He goes to the synagogue, which is his custom. And if you grew up in church, that's where the pastor would go. And if it was Jesus' custom to go to church, you should be going to church. Right? And so that's kind of, anyways. 
Um, and so that, this is where Jesus, he goes back. And then what happens is he goes back into the synagogue and they, they allow him to be one of the readers. And he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And instead of taking you to Luke chapter 4, I just want to read the actual text that Jesus was handed. And so in Isaiah 61, and this is just, this is great. This is a history part of it. And so um, if you've never read these verses in the context of, of the Beatitudes, prepare to have your mind blown. I mean, no. Not really, but um, you'll, you'll, I think you'll get it once you read it. So look at this. It says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many, many Generation. Now, we don't get the benefit because I didn't grow up Jewish, and I don't think you grew up Jewish, and you might have, but even if you did, you probably didn't have Jewish parents who pointed to Isaiah 61 and, and, and on a weekly basis told you, hey, this is what will eventually happen. This is the story of the promised Messiah who will bring back gladness to the nation of Israel. This was a passage of Scripture that for generations Jews had told their children would happen when the Messiah came. And, if, and, and for 2,000 years, the Jews were God's people, right? And, and God showed his love toward them through grace and mercy. And if you read the Old Testament, it's actually quite entertaining because it's, it's this recountance of God saying, hey, I love you, I chose you. And then there's people of Israel going, yay, we serve you. And then like, oh, okay, we're done. We don't want to serve you. And then God's saying, don't do that. You're not going to like what happens. And they're like, yeah, whatever, screw you. And I mean, they didn't literally say that. But that's what they said with their actions. And so, and then what happened? Turmoil happened. And then God said, hey, you know, if you repent, I might heal your land. And, and so they said, okay, God, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And then God said, okay, I forgive you. Because the Lord is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding, right, in mercy. And this is what, especially when you read Jonah. You ever read Jonah? When Jonah was mad at God for sending him to Nineveh. And, and, and uh, they were having this little spat. After Jonah finally relented and, he, and he, he told the people of Nineveh about God and they repented. And then Jonah was sitting on, on top of this, this, this hill and he was just sour of his face. And God was like, what's going on? And then Jonah says, I knew that you were a God who was gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. And if they repented... You would forgive them. And this was, this was the God of the Old Testament for 2,000 years. The people of Israel, they, they enjoyed this presence, this reality with the, the, the King of Kings, the Lord, of, the, the, the God that saves, Yahweh. And, and, and for 2,000 years, they continued to turn their back on him, and God continued to show himself true. And he began to, he began to give them favor, right? Now, unfortunately, when living life according to God's law was not good enough for them. Some of you know the history. They, they, they didn't want to live life according to God's law and have judges tell them what to do. What do they want? They wanted a king, 
right? In other words, God, give us the political system that all these other countries have because we want to be like them and their political system is working for us. And we, we need that because our hope is in a system <laughs> that will give us what we want. And God told them this would not be good for them, but they relented. And, and so God said, okay, I'll give you a king. And eventually this kind of living led to a division of the nation of Israel into two kingdoms, right? You had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And eventually they would split. And eventually the northern kingdom would be conquered by the Assyrians. And then not much longer, the southern kingdom would be completely conquered by the Babylonians. And so at a last resort, the Lord used people known as the prophets to speak to the people of Israel and plead with them, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. And when they wouldn't, finally, people like Jeremiah, spoke on behalf of God to tell them what was going to happen. Eventually, God's love made itself evident in the most heartbreaking way when he allowed Israel to choose the love of their life, to choose their God, their own way. So God demonstrated his love in the most heartbreaking way by allowing Israel to serve itself, to serve its own God. That was not a display of God's anger, but his love. And some of you know that for 400 years there was a silence and God did not interact with the people of Israel who wanted to rule themselves And so after they fell to the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they fell under rule of the Greeks. Some of you know your history, Alexander the Great, and all these these Greeks, and then eventually it was the Egyptians, and then the Syrians, and then eventually we find around 65 BC that they were now, uh, uh, you know, ruled over by the Roman government, right? And so they got what they wanted, a life that was separated from God's rule and reign. And they just didn't realize that it would be under someone. And, then, you know, when you think about that reality, I, I think of the Bob Dylan song, you know, you may serve the devil, you may serve the Lord, but you got to what? Serve somebody. They didn't realize that this would happen to them. And it was in this time and period that there, there were many Jews, there was still a remnant of Jews who, as Jeremiah prophesied, mourned. They, there was a remnant of the people of God who said, we recognize that we've been living in sin. And we recognize that our sin and our disobedience and our rebellion has separated us from God. But God is not listening and he's given us what we want. And now we're exiled and we're prisoners and we're oppressed. And there's so much oppression because the grace and mercy of God is no longer with us. The favor of God is no longer with us. And so we're mourning. We're mourning a loss that's defined by a loss of presence of God and his favor. And so we are no longer the chosen people of Israel. And we are no longer the blessed ones. And so we mourn. And freedom was gone. It was replaced by oppression. The favor of the Lord was gone. And so they no longer were a blessed kingdom. And they never had a kingdom that they could call their own. And ultimately, they mourned over the reality 
of where their sin had led them. As one Bible commentator wrote, he said this, this text clearly suggests that the mourners are those who are grieved over both Israel's and their own exile, who are teamed with one another in grief and who long for Israel's return, for the temple to be restored and for God's favor to return to Israel. It is a longing for grace and justice and for kingdom, and at the same time a commitment to faithfulness and hope. So, here we are, back Luke chapter 4. Jesus is back in his hometown. He's reading out the scroll. And what happens next is anything short of dramatic. In fact, I'm going to read it with you. In Luke chapter 4, verse 20, right after he reads this passage of Scripture, it says this, verse 20. He, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The Scripture you've just heard, has been fulfilled this day. What Jesus basically says and proclaims is that he is the Messiah. He is the one to bring comfort to those who mourn. Which brings us to another, I think, good question. And our second question. What kind of comfort do those who mourn receive? Now, the word for comfort is this Greek word, parakaleo. Everyone say that, parakaleo. Now you know Greek. Don't you feel so much smarter? You go to that church now. Everyone knows Greek. Now, after having spent about three years with his disciples, okay, Jesus tells them that he's going to have to die. And some of you who read the Gospels, you, you remember this part. Near the end of, near the, right near the end of, of Jesus' ministry, he, he begins to tell his disciples, hey guys, just going to let you know, uh, I'm going to have to die. And if you've ever been close to someone that you know has only moments to live, you can, I think, understand the grief that would begin to settle in the disciples' hearts. Right? I mean, Some of us experience grief over sudden loss. But some of us, some of us have experienced grief over loss that we knew was going to be coming. And Jesus understood this kind of weight. And Jesus wanted to encourage them. And I think it's really interesting in the way he encouraged them. At the end of John, uh, John's account of, of the gospel says this is what Jesus did. Right after telling them that he was going to die. Listen to this, John 14, 15 to 16. Hey, if you love me. Uh, of course, to which they would have been like, of course we love you. We're s- our hearts are heavy. We're sad. You can't, where else would we go? We, we've, we've left all. And, and where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. We're, of course we love you. And Jesus says this. Look. You will keep my commandments. And when you do, I, I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakletos. Now, do you see the parallel here? So comfort is is parakaleo and parakletos. What is that? Well, In some translation, it says this, and he will give you another helper. 
or comforter. And he will be with you. How long? Forever. So those who mourn, those who are grieved by the reality that their sin has separated them from God, are rewarded with comfort. But not just the state of comfort, but the one who is the source and definition of comfort. I think this is why Paul, in his letter to a church in Corinth, says this. He explains repentance as a result of true mourning when he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces only death. So what is the kind of mourning Jesus was referring to here in Matthew 5? It was a mourning of sin and separation from God that leads to repentance. And what is the kind of comfort that God gives? It's his, do you know? His spirit. It's himself. God gives himself to those who, in light of recognizing the reality of their life separated from God and their need for him, are mourning And they have a godly mourning which leads to repentance. God gives them salvation. And in salvation, he gives us his spirit. See how that connects? So let me just read this again. Matthew 5, verse 1 through 4, it says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, listen very carefully, blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, what does this mean for us? 2017, here we are. Well, maybe today, I don't know where you're coming from. But maybe today you walked into here feeling pretty broken. And I, and I know, I know church is supposed to be happy and we're supposed to talk about happy stuff. But, you know, every once in a while we have to recognize that this world is just not about happy faces. And God wants to speak to the brokenness in our life. And that, that's you today. If today you in your heart of hearts, if you were honest and you put aside the Minnesota nice, you would admit that your life is pretty broken. And it's pretty broken because you live in a world that is broken by sin. And what I would want to suggest to you, what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed, blessed are those who mourn, is this. Don't run from the brokenness. Don't run from the morning and run towards addiction. Don't run from the recognition of your need of God and instead run to self-medication. Don't run from recognizing that you without God are absolutely nothing but in self. Instead, you run towards self-deception and you tell yourself, I'm good, I'm okay, I can make it, I believe I can fly. 
instead. What I would ask you to do is what you won't find on the Dr. Phil show. I'm going to ask you to embrace the morning and embrace what Jesus said, that blessed are the poor in spirit who recognize their desperate need for God. Blessed are those who mourn because of the effects of sin, because godly grief produces repentance. And remember, we've talked about this before. What does it mean to repent? It literally means this. Here is where I was going, and I repent. And this is now where I'm going, right? Because repenting is not just merely a saying uh, no to sin and, and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, God. Because you can do that facing this way. Oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I promise I won't do it again. I'm sorry. That's not repenting. That's just saying you're sorry. But repentance is just as much of going, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. And it's about not necessarily where you're turning your life from, but it's just as much what you're turning your life to, right? And it's turning it to the solution for the cause of the mourning in our lives, the cause of the brokenness in our lives. Repentance is not just to say, I'm sorry. But it's an invitation to live life God's way. As part of God's family. As one of his sons. As one of his daughters. Does it make sense? And so when you live life God's way as one who is part of God's family, you will receive what Jesus promised to all who accept the invitation to love him by submitting their life to him as Lord and Savior. He will comfort you. In fact, he will give you not only just comfort, but he will give you the comforter. He gives you his spirit. He gives you himself. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Now, maybe today you're, you're not mourning. And you're like, I should have totally just stayed home. This message is not for me. I'm not a basket case like some of these sad saps. But listen, listen. If you're not someone who is going through mourning, if you're not someone who by the grace of God is not experiencing brokenness in your life, Today is an invitation to mourn. Ah, Phil, now you're starting to sound like Olaf. In summer. Listen, this is an invitation to mourn. In the day and age that we live in, come on. You just turn on the news, right? I promise you, you don't even have to turn on the news. Just go to work. Just turn around And look at your spouse. No, I'm teasing. This world is broken, right? There is brokenness everywhere. And there's brokenness because of sin. And there's brokenness and mourning. And this is the invitation for those of us, especially those of you who maybe you can declare with your heart that you have been comforted by God But this is an invitation for you to not stop 
at just receiving the comfort that God gives to those who would profess them as Christ and Lord. There is a responsibility. The Beatitudes is a, as much as a definition of who's in the kingdom, as much as it is a definition of who's not. A lot of Bible scholars will, will talk about this. Like the Beatitudes tell us who are the people that are part of God's kingdom. Well, blessed are those who mourn. Are you someone who says, I follow? Listen, this is, if you're not a believer, you don't have to listen to anything I say. But if you're a follower of Christ, listen. Are you mourning? Just open your eyes. Just love someone around you as Christ loved you, and you will begin to see the brokenness that is around you. Can you not already think of it as I talk? And so this is an invitation for those who are not mourning to mourn. To mourn with those who are broken, but specifically to lead them to the one and the only one who's a solution for the morning in their lives. And this is the invitation to mourn for and with those who mourn. So that those who mourn can literally be called the blessed. Let me pray.